Which one is the color? Those first. Oh, those first. Oh, those first. <laughs> <laughs> That's where you're always. Welcome, everybody. It's really been a pleasure. We've been here for the past uh, maybe 24 hours um, or so. I don't even remember how long. Um, Rabbi Cohen has graciously uh, brought along the 2013 cars 2013. with the kosher. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and all the for the 2010 suits. I'll trade them in. I'm going to get to the math. Rabbi Cohen introduces himself and a little bit about what he does. Okay. Um, as Rabbi Asher mentioned, um, um, the two of us work at the CRC. Um, I, I primarily commercial side of what we certify, that is to say the ingredients, the processes um, on different commercial products that you would see that have the CRC on them, um, some of them which we're going to get to mention tonight as I speak. And the Rabbi Eisenbach does his work at the CRC is more along the lines of what you have here locally, uh, which is he deals with the restaurants, caterers, um, kinds of people who are serving food uh, on a retail level. Um, I, I was asked to speak about um, meat and milk, um, and all of us, whoever, anyone who keeps a kosher home or knows someone who keeps a kosher home knows that in a kosher home, milk and meat can't be mixed together. And of course, so that means that we don't eat cheeseburgers. It also means that we don't, uh, we have separate dishes for milk and zoplatics. Here in the shul, there's a, there's a meat kitchen and a dairy kitchen um, because we don't mix m- meat and milk. And that's the, that's the pretty straightforward side of um, meat and milk, that we don't eat them together. I'm going to talk about a number of things a little um, not so typical or maybe things that you are or are not familiar with. Okay. The first is going to be the um, topic of uh, dairy bread. And that is, and that is um, bread um, surely was, and even in some, in some um, cultures it still is, a staple food. It was eaten with every meal. And bread is also a food that's pretty uh, simple and straightforward. Flour, water, and yeast, then you're at your, you have bread. So because of that, the rabbis were concerned that if bread were to be meat, made with meat or made with dairy, people would end up making mistakes and eating it with the wrong one. If I made uh, bread <coughs> with milk powder in it, with milk inside of it, I might go and eat a corned beef sandwich on that bread, in which case I would be eating milk, milk and meat together. Or the opposite, if I use um, stock from a meat soup, in making, my, in making my bread, then I might eat, put some cheese on top of that, and again, I would, not, I would be eating milk and meat together, because people just assume that it's a power food. They assume it's a food that's not meat or dairy. Therefore, the rabbi said that not only can't you eat, a, let's say, a dairy bread with meat food, you can't even eat the bread by itself. You can't, bread that has milk in it, or bread that has meat in it, is, essentially has become not kosher. The rabbi said you can't have that because they were concerned that if people would do that, they would lead them to then eating a dairy bread with a meat meal or the other way around. Um, so an interesting story that happened at the CRC, uh, we were asked to certify a, quite a large bakery, a commercial bakery. And when we came to the bakery, among the things we explained to them was that they can't have uh, milk in their bread. Well, when we looked through their recipes, just about everything had milk in it. And when we looked further, we found out that the, the amount of milk that was in there was minuscule. Absolutely nothing. It couldn't possibly be doing anything important. So we said to them, well, just get rid of it. We'll just pour some dairy out of it. And the first couple of people who we spoke to were all had no problem. Of course, I mean, it's, it's obviously doing nothing. Until we hit the quality control people. Okay? And the quality control people said, no, no, no. We're going to explain to you why there's milk in there. 
And that's because there are a couple of things that we make in this bakery that actually have lots of cheese and dairy in them. And if we do that, on our packages, it would have to say, made in a facility that, that has milk. Okay? Well, that would look bad for the quality people. Because it makes it look like we can't clean up our factory well enough. It makes us look bad. So therefore, we decided we're going to put a spoonful of milk into every batch. And that way, we could write that it actually has milk in it, so we don't look sloppy. Okay? That was their thing. We just, we're just putting in a spoonful so we don't, it doesn't have the same label, may contain traces of... We, that doesn't look good for us. So we wanted actually to look a little spoonful of each one. So the marketing people were fighting against the quality people. You know, the marketing people said, listen, we can't be kosher unless we get rid of this stuff. And the quality people said, no, no, we don't look good. Anyhow, in the end, the marketing people won. Um, they got rid of the milk. Um, and that company has many, many dozens of products that they make that are certified kosher. Um, that, the... Yeah. Sure. Sure, please ask questions. Please. Did you just say the dairy, uh, the factory you just said was uh, yes. other product with cheese in it? Yes. And the, and the term, the, the bread would be par. Yes. So how the bread and par uh, and stuff? A very good question. This, I wasn't planning on talking about that. That's a very good question. He said, well, they're making... Just items, said uh, you're, the good question? Make it with cheese. So, so what goes... What goes <laughs> Well, goes on. It's, it's a good point. In this, in this factory, the way the, the, we have it set up is those items that have cheese in it are made always at the end of the week. Okay, their schedule is to have it always at the end of the week. Every Monday morning at about 4 o'clock when they start up their ovens, um, they capture those ovens before they start. Okay, they, they do part of the startup for every yeah, Monday morning. No, oh, yeah, okay. That's we, his question. Okay, we, it's not relevant to this part. Is we, they do a big cashing. It's a really, really high temperature that they get it up to. Right, they do dairy. The power goes the whole beginning of the week. At the very end of the week, Thursday, Friday, that's when they make that stuff. And, um, that's the Sorry. No, it's a good question. No, good. Okay, um, one of the exceptions to the rule, if a person wants to make dairy bread or meat bread, one of the exceptions is if the bread has an unusual marking on it or it looks different than any other, than a typical bread, then it's okay for that bread to be dairy or meat. Because someone who looks at it understands that this is not a typical loaf of bread. Okay? And there's a great example of it right here in town at the Mixing Bowl, okay, the Mixing Bowl Bakery. Um, that bakery, their breads are all dairy, not the challah for Shabbos, but their regular breads are dairy, and therefore they're not certified as kosher. They're not kosher because bread that's dairy can't be kosher. Okay? Bread that's dairy is not, is not kosher even to eat veses. With one exception. There is a, a, a bread or a type of bread that have a dairy drizzle on top of them. And because those look different, and those, a cheese, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, a cheese drizzle on top of it, it's obvious that this thing has dairy in it, or obviously this is different, that can be certified as kosher. And in fact, it is. It's kosher and dairy. And everybody who buys it could tell that this has dairy inside of it, and that could be kosher. And all the rest of it cannot be. Okay? Just the bread. Just the bread. I'm talking about just the bread. Cakes and pastries are okay. Um, they're not, they don't look at all like bread. People don't mistake up. A pastry for bread, and that's okay. We had even the case with the loaf with the uh, I'm not doing that one. Okay. Another situation that you may be familiar with might, might, might help over here. Uh, another person, another situation you might be familiar with is if any of you have ever had um, uh, English muffins. The English muffins are the most famous brand. The Thomas's. Those are, they're dairy. They're labeled O U D. Okay. So when that bread was first made, when Thomas English muffins were first became kosher, they were basically the only show in town. They were the only ones making bread. And a, a muffin, it, it's related to bread, but when you look at it, you could tell that this is not your everyday loaf of bread. This doesn't look like a roll or a loaf of bread. So at, at that time, they said, listen, this looks different enough that it, does, it could be dairy. 
the, the rabbis only said you can't have dairy, which looks like a regular loaf of bread or a roll or a bagel or something like that. But a Thomas' English muffin looks different enough that it, felt <coughs> it could certify it as dairy, even though it had dairy in it. With time, that's changed. Nowadays, there are many companies that make it, so it's now become a different question. Why they continue to certify it? That's a question. There's a good answer for it. But for our purposes, if it looks different, then it's okay to certify it as, uh, to be certified as dairy. Okay. And last is, question, you have a question? Yes. Yes, it doesn't have to be noticeable that it's dairy. Well, it just has to be that it's, when someone looks at it, they don't say, oh, it's a loaf of bread. Bread in people's mind, people associate that with something power. But when they, if it's different, this bread makes, this company makes all types of different breads, then that's fine. That's fine. That's okay. As long as they look unusual and different. Um, that's why in Israel, it's like it's easier. It's hot. White and wheat. And only one kind of bread that would be. Uh-huh, okay. Okay. Okay, that's good. Um, the, the last point is that the, this that I'm mentioning, that you cannot make bread that's either dairy or meat, that only applies when you're actually making the batter itself. If you finish making the bread and the bread is, bread is already baked, at that point you could add things to it. So if you make French toast and that French toast, um, you use milk in the batter, that's okay. It's already been made into bread. And now if you want to add milk into it, that's okay. Okay. Or bagel. The bagel cream to it, yes. Okay. Any questions before I move on to the next thing? <coughs> okay. Let's keep on going. Okay. Um, a related question is that if uh, the Gemara, in, in the days of the Gemara, they had, they had imitation milk, which actually we have the same thing nowadays, made out of almonds. Almond milk. Well, almond milk, of course, is not dairy. It's not made out of, milk, out of cow's milk. It's just called almond milk, but it's not. It's really made out of a, you know, a fruit, and therefore almond milk is, of course, para. But what would it be if I was sitting here eating um, something neat, and you were to see me with a glass of milk next to my meat? That looks odd. It makes people suspect that either they'll think that the rabbi doesn't keep kosher, or they'll think something strange, something, something doesn't seem right, that I'm eating a meat meal together with a cup of milk next to it. And the rabbi said that, therefore, if you eat something that's an imitation, it's an imitation meat or imitation milk, you need to have some marking on the table that people who look will notice that this is not your everyday glass of milk. In those days, the marking they used to put on, they would, actually, they would leave almonds on the table. Whole almonds on the table, and everybody would say, well, why on earth are there almonds on the table? That would make you realize that that milk was not cow's milk, it was instead almond milk. Um, nowadays, a more modern version of that is, um, we have non-dairy creamers, Okay, those look like milk. Um, they may not be made out of almonds, but they're made, they're non-dairy creamers, and therefore, um, soy milk. a soy milk, same that non-dairy creamers are, those need some kind of a marking that people should realize when they leave in the original container, you realize this is not a meat actually. Okay? Uh, I wanted to uh, give the example, I wanted to read to everybody what it says at the Mixingville Bakery on the certification ladder, kind of crystallized. So, it says um, that... Uh, the bakery is under the strict supervision, and all the products are dairy. However, all the breads are also dairy, and therefore not under the vibe, except the cheese bread, which is noticeably dairy. So it's confusing, but that's that's what it says on the certificate. And of course, the challah goes on to say the challah is hard. Because that's hard, right? That's okay. Uh, and even more recent, you know, people we've had non-dairy cream for many years, but a much more recent invasion is. Um, Soy cheese, 
and it's something called seitan. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. Uh, seitan is a, it's an imitation uh, beef. It's made out of, actually, it's made out of wheat. It's an imitation beef. So if somebody were to serve those with the opposite, in other words, you take seitan and you put cheese onto it, or you take a hamburger and you put soy cheese onto it, again, to the, to the person looking at that, that looks really odd. Okay, that looks like a cheeseburger to me. Okay. Okay, so a garden burger actually it has vegetable pieces. Some of them have, you know, noticeably vegetable pieces. The same time, a little bit, look, a little bit looks like beef, not not terribly. But the soy cheese looks like regular cheese. That you would never know if you looked at it. Um, and therefore, um, those things you need some kind of a notice on that. It once came up a restaurant that was going to a kosher restaurant was serving a, a kosher restaurant was serving. If I remember correctly, it was real beef with soy cheese on it. It may have been the opposite, but I think that's what it was. It was real beef with soy on it. And they put onto their menus, they put onto their menus under that item when it said, you know, cheeseburger. It, it would say under it, you know, made with imitation cheese or something like that to make it obvious that, you know, this is a kosher restaurant. And, you know, in kosher restaurants, we don't serve cheeseburgers, but this is made with imitation cheese or something like that. We put that up on top also in that place. Mm-hmm. Okay. Up on top of the board. Okay. So that's okay. That is okay. As long as you have um, a, a marking on it, that, uh, in pe- that people looking at it could understand that this is not so what they think it is. Uh, it, the, what we, I mentioned before about bread is specific to bread. It's only bread has that special requirement that it can't be meat or dairy. Yes? So my son went through this phase of being a vegan and instead of listening to his mother, he went to the PETA website. Okay. His go-to guide for things without animal products. So why does the OU have the tea behind so many products that are really not dairy at all. Okay, it's a very good question. Because Peter says it's Right, it's a very good question. The question is, um, there are many items that are marked OUD, uh, and in fact, those items are really not, there's nothing dairy about them. Um, and the question is, why would they be marked D? Okay, and, and there's, there's a couple of parts to that answer. Um, one part of the answer is, um, sometimes there are items that are in there that are dairy um, that don't meet the criteria for someone like PETA or even legal requirements to be labeled as dairy. Uh, they make it in dairy requirements. One, one of the best examples of that is the non-dairy creamers. Um, one of the components of milk is casein. Um, by law, casein is not considered a milk derivative. So you can call something non-dairy even though it has casein, which comes from cow's milk. Okay, but by law, for whatever reasons, by law, that's not considered dairy. Um, so by law, they can say this is dairy-free. Um, when in fact we would consider that it does have dairy components to it. So sometimes there are things in it that meet, that are considered from, you know, from, we would look at it as being dairy, but the law doesn't. And then, more often than not, what's going on when it's labeled D is that the same equipment is being used for dairy products and power products. Okay, the, and the examples, think like of these. Oreos, for example. Oreos. That's good. Right. Yes, so Oreos is a good example of that. Some of the Oreos, some of the Oreo products actually have dairy components in them. The OU turned to the company and said, listen, if you want to label your product as OU Pyrev, okay, if you want some of them to be Pyrev, you're going to need to do the following cleanup between the dairy products and the Pyrev products. And the company said, it's not worth it for us. Okay? We, it's not worth it for us. We, the, the, the cleanup, which will allow us to call our cookies Pyrev, which will gain us this many customers, it's not worth it. Let's mark them all dairy. So the OU said, hey, if that's what you want, they mark them all dairy. And therefore, the whole line of Oreos, of Oreo cookies, is labeled OUD. In fact, the truth is that if you call up the OU office, there are specific varieties that they'll tell you these are really power, completely power. I mean, Peter. Right, so whether Peter cares about something being made on milk, on dairy equipment. Well, they care. Okay, so I don't know. I don't know what, you know, what their standards yeah, are. He would not even eat refined sugar because at some point in the processing, there's 
remnants of bones being used, therefore... Bone charm, filtration, exactly. yes. Exactly, mm-hmm. yes. need sugar. Okay. Like, he was freaky... Okay. So the point the point you're bringing out the point you're bringing out is that it's it's not always is the standard for a different group the same as a kosher standard. We might consider something dairy or kosher, even though it has we consider sugar kosher. Sugar. Even though it's made with bone char, we consider it to be kosher. Whereas someone who's concerned about animal products might consider it not acceptable. The opposite, they might consider an Oreo cookie to be power, but we might consider it to be dairy. So, yes, the, the standards are not always the same. That's good. Okay, let's move on. Okay, when um, we prepare food. Um, so, question. 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 On which side? On the right. On my right. Yes. Just, um, just back one second. So, when you said about the soy milk or the non-dairy creamer, so practically, if you serve, uh, put it in a pitcher, let's say you're serving coffee shops, that put it with inflation, mm-hmm. do you have to keep it in its original container, or like how today we don't put almonds on the table, what would we do? Okay, so for non-dairy creamer, there's a question whether nowadays it could be non-dairy creamer is so common that nobody thinks that you're serving milk at the table. Everybody knows you keep it closer home, and they see that, they know it's non-dairy creamer, it's so common. Okay, that, that's a question whether non-dairy creamer is any more of an issue. At this point, it may be so obvious that no one even thinks twice about it. The, the, the question of soy cheese, that's a much more practical for today. Mo- today, if, a people, if, someone, if I was serving soy cheese on a meat product, I would have to do something. Leave the package on the table. Do something that would be obvious what it is. In a soy milk, you could, on, on, a, you know, on a non-dairy milk, that's a, a questionable I, how you should take that one. You know, that's a... Um, okay. Um, when we... In, in keeping... In keep... In keeping... In keeping kosher home... Um, as I mentioned, people keep separate uh, meat and dairy equipment. Um, the table cloths are on the table. I'm guessing that they're green because they're dairy. Okay, they serve pizza here. So they put, no, it's not because it's St. Patrick's Day. They, put, they serve they serve dairy, uh, dairy, and therefore they put a and therefore they put a uh, green table cloth. Um, when it, it's useful, aside from having meat and dairy, in certain items it's useful to have power. Okay, it means that you have certain utensils in your house that are not for meat or for dairy. They're used for power. It, it's particularly useful when you're cutting um, certain items that are sharp. Okay, the best example being an onion. When you cut a sharp items, those items, this is a drop complicated, but when you cut uh, onion with a meat knife, that onion is now became a meat onion, even though you cut it cold. Okay, that onion, you wouldn't serve, oh, let me just finish. You wouldn't t- put that as a topping on your pizza now. Okay, that onion is now a meat onion. And therefore, if a person's not using a whole onion at a time, they're making a salad with a half of an onion, that person would, there's an advantage to having power equipment in your house. A power of a knife, a cu- or just cut on a paper plate, but something, a power of a peeler, some of those items like that, so that you don't have these confusions when you want to have some items that will be used for both. An onion is an example. Do you have a question? I do. Why do you need two set of books, dairy and meat? I mean, these days... I hope you don't mind, I want to ask you. These days, you have a dishwasher. Can't you just use one set of dish for dairy and meat all together? It's all glass or... Okay, it's a very good question. The question is, if I can can scrub my thing perfectly clean, like I said, I put it in my dishwasher, I can scrub perfectly clean. Why do I need to have separate dishes? When it comes out, you would never know anybody uses for dairy. And the, the the answer to the question is that 
kosher law set is concerned not just that there may be a residue on the dish, but that when you use something in certain ways, particularly if you use it hot, certain flavors absorb into the dish. Okay? Uh, and therefore, because it's absorbed into the dish, washing the dishwasher is not going to do the trick. Okay? I was recently went to look for, um, is it, there's a chain of stores called Tivana. I don't know if they have that in this area. Um, Tivana is a chain of tea stores. Okay? It's actually recently bought out by Starbucks. Um, it's a chain of tea stores. And when I went there to look at the stores, um, we were going to be certifying it, but people had asked questions if they could eat at Tivana, which things they could buy, etc. I went to look at one of the stores, and they had there a cup, a certain kind of mug, I forget what it's called. And they said to me, this is a very, this mug, you have to buy a different one for every flavor of tea that you buy. Because after you make a couple of cups of tea in this mug, afterwards you just put water in. You just put the water in, it's going to taste like tea anyhow. Okay, so much is absorbed into the walls of this mug that if you use it a couple of times, don't even bother putting leaves in, just put in the water and it'll taste just fine. So if I buy, you know, for this flavor, I can't mix it with another flavor because it's going to not be just right. So whether... That's what they call a free cup of tea, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and and we, we, we assume that that applies to all materials that we use. Okay. Um, glass, 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 glass. Glass, okay. As far as glass, so I ask the question about glass? Okay, about glass. There are different customs as to whether we should assume that glass does or does not absorb. Okay. Typically, people from a Sephardic background assume that glass does not absorb, and therefore they use glass for both uh, meat and dairy. Uh, people from an Ashkenazic background uh, follow the opinion that glass does absorb. And therefore, even if they got it perfectly clean, they wouldn't use it for both. Uh, okay. Now, this is what I've explained to you is about the, the more typical way people use it, but there's, there are some ways that flavor can transfer that's a little bit more complicated than that. And that is as follows. If, I'm, if I would be cooking a pot of chicken soup, and I lift off the lid of that chicken soup, then the vapors that rise up are, car- are I mean, you put your, if you, put, you lean over it, you'll smell the chicken soup, and that, those vapors carry the meat flavor to them. If those vapors, what, what they hit is now also considered to be meat. So, if I, if there's something right above that the case, in the case of the Shulchan Aruch is someone is cooking up milk, he's cooking up milk, and hanging over his stove is a salami, and he's drawing a salami hanging over his stove, so the milk that he's cooking up, the milk that he's cooking, those vapors that come up, that come in contact with the, hold one second, that come in contact with the salami that's hanging there, have now made that salami trace. They just mix milk together with their meat, and that salami is hanging over it. Okay, before I continue, do you have a question? Okay, so to that, to what level would you say that paper rises? Right? If you have, I don't know, if you have a huge building, right, and you're cooking milk on this stove over here, and you have, right, to what extent does the vapor rise? It's a good question. The vapor rises, I don't know how far it rises, but we're concerned to the point that it rises that it's still hot. In other words, if I say six inches over it, you put your hand there, it's still hot, that's a concern. You know, a foot over, it's not going to be hot anymore, you don't have to worry about it's that. Hot. If you're cooking in a, in a big commercial kitchen, and even three feet over it's boiling hot, then that's a concern. It goes to how high it's hot over, at, at what point you still feel the heat. What you can do is feel it. Just know it. You cannot cook breakfast and lunch together, basically. So you can cook them together because the two pots are side by side. Right. Okay. The pots are side by side. This one's going up, this one's going up, you're safe. Okay. Okay. The problem is, when you pass something over it, and the common example of someone passing something over is, if you're adding spices or oil into your items, so you're sitting with, with the pepper, or, you know, with the salt shaker, shaking it right over, that means that you're holding your hand right over the pot uh, as you're pouring it in. 
Okay, so then you, you're, you're saying, here's, here's the pot is cooking here, and I'm sitting spicing it a little this and a little that. Those things are holding right over the pot of hot soup or hot milk or hot, whatever you're cooking up over there. So in that case, either you can do, like you had mentioned, or you brought up, which is I can hold it high enough. You know, I can put it into a cup in between. I can put, you know, put the spices into a cup. Or what some people will do is they'll have separate spices. Okay, they'll have dairy, spices they use on the dairy side, spices they use on the meat side. But something they should do just to think about that fish. Okay, well, that's, well, that's, we're getting fish at the way hand. If we ever get to that far. Okay, yes. You're assuming, you're assuming a plastic container of spices. So it doesn't always, despite, I, I didn't say that it always is concerned. But it's something to think about, something to think about how much is possibly transferring into my food. And therefore, think, think about how you want to deal with that situation. But you're thinking about how, think about some people hang over So, Think about how hot the spice container gets. You're saying think about how hot the spices get. You're saying it doesn't matter if the steam is going there. Even it's, it's really the vapor that's getting into my spice container. Right. What? How is it affecting that? So if you hold it high enough, or you think it's not concerned, then you're on the safe side. Based on whether the vapor is going in, in or not. Okay, the other thing I thought maybe you could touch on uh, would be uh, just the you know. It, there needs to be something which transfers, meaning you have a cold piece of cheese on a meat plate, so that there, there needs to be some, some something something that transfers the dairiness yeah, to the, the flavor. flavor. So if you could just, I don't, did you touch on that? I did not, no. Okay. Okay. No, the rabbi's mentioning is that what we had talked about, what I mentioned before, and about flavor being absorbed into a utensil, okay, typically that happens only with heat. That's the most common way it happens, is through heat, is what makes the flavor be absorbed into the kid. There are other ways, but typically it happens through heat. Uh, and therefore, if something cold was put onto it, you're not supposed to put a piece of cheese on your fleshic dishes, but if you did, it's not as serious. Yes? So if you have an onion transfer, so like, let's say, for instance, you were cooking, let's say you do hold that glass is not absorbed top. Okay. So you are cooking onions and meat in a glass container. Okay. Would the onions, or let's say, let's say it was cold, so with, you were mixing it together in a, in a glass container, if the onions touch the meat and, meat and, the, and they touch the container, Okay. The answer, before we finish the question, the answer is when you get so complicated, you have to talk to the rabbi. <laughs> yes, that's it. Call the rabbi up and say, rabbi, now it's not, according to this, our glass is not absorbed. If you hold that, we look at the passage. Right. Who, who, who brings down, according to Ashkenazim, that between Isser and Heter, except the Pesach, the glass absorbs? Okay, I'll answer your question, question afterwards. Okay. It's a little too sophisticated. I can answer your question. It's a little too sophisticated for our audience right now. Yes? Luckily for you, you could always ask the rabbi. Okay. So, so if, if she said ask you. Okay. So really, you're talking about a question of transferring residue. You're not talking about transferring something being absorbed in. The question is, you have res- if you're, are your hands dirty and you're getting something in there? Uh, it's a case, but really, it's it's yes, rabbi. Too complicated case by case. It's a case by case basis. There are a lot of questions that go in just figuring out exactly what happened. And then there are a lot of principles that are going to have to be worked out. Okay, let, me, let me do one more case about this, about vapors transferring. And that is, um, some people have their homes um, 
I actually have a neighbor who's about to do this. They have double ovens. Okay, they have one oven stacked on top of the other. Um, those ovens, as a rule, the ovens are completely separate from one another. And sometimes, the ovens both vent. They share a vent. Okay, there has to be a place for air to exhaust out of the oven. And in some cases, they share a vent. That is to say, the same, the air that exhausts out of the bottom oven also, and the top oven both go out to the atmosphere together. So, you, if, you, if you study your oven, or you read the plans, or you ask someone who knows what they're doing, you can figure out if they do or don't share an oven. Okay? Rabbi Eisenach and I once were in a facility, this is a commercial facility, that had a meat and dairy kitchen. Okay? And for argument's sake, the meat was on this side, the meat was on this side, and the dairy was on this side. Okay? And in between the two parts of the kitchen, there was a double steamer. Okay? And one was for meat, and one was for dairy. That was like the dividing line between the two parts of the kitchen. So we went to look at this kitchen, and when we asked them to turn on the steamer, one of the steamers, with no food in it, just to see what would happen. Okay? And as we stood there, they had one of the steamers on, there was steam pouring into the other steamer. Let's say the bottom one was one that was on, there was steam pouring in from the bottom one into the top, through the vents. They shared a vent, the steam was escaping out the vent, and there was a nice opening that it went to, into the top of it. Okay, so if that would happen, that transfer of, of, of steam could also raise an issue if, if you want to use one for meat and one for dairy, like this facility was using, then when you're cooking your chicken on the bottom, that chicken vapor is going into your uh, dairy one, which is on the top, or vice versa. Yes? Well, usually the vapors are not escaping right up into the pot. They escape through the back. Right. Into the back. It's not so typical that you have a problem through the oven into the stove pot. It's not such a common situation. Here, there, there was basically a, a pipe going straight from the meat side to the dairy side. There was, I mean, it wasn't built like that. It was built as an escape, but it ended up feeding right into there. Okay, so it's just something to think about if you have... So the vents come out too. We actually do have, on our range, it does, if it goes into burn, it does come through one of the burners. Through the burners? Yeah, because yeah. it's gas. Yeah. One of them. Yes. That's where the vent is. My guess is, my guess is that it's probably not a concern. Um, you could ask the rabbi to come look at it. I don't know if he makes house calls, but it's, he could come look at it just to see. Uh, as the rabbi said beforehand, there's a lot of considerations in these issues. Um, I'm talking a little bit in a general way, and I'm saying if you want to have an oven, one for meat, one for dairy, this is what you should think about. Uh, if you actually did it, or you had a little bit of a problem, there's a lot of details to it, um, and it's worth really asking the rabbi, this is my situation, this, tell me how I could work with that. Okay. Um, a, a, similar, a similar thing to this, a little bit different, but somewhat similar, is um, cooking in a microwave. Okay. When I, if I, well, should we have one question? Go, sure. Food, um, shark food? Yes. And just maybe give a list of the foods that are considered okay. common shark food. Right. Okay, the, mo- the, the answer is, it's a good question. People ask a lot. I get it. That's pretty frequently by rabbis, actually. Okay. And the answer is, the way you know whether a food is sharp is take a bite out of it. Okay, if the food tastes sharp, a, a radish, an onion, black pepper, those kind of foods, when they're sharp, you know what they taste like. What about okay. lemon? Uh, lemon is sharp. Garlic. Uh, what? Garlic. Garlic. Lime. Pineapple. Yes, the food that, when you taste them, it has a strong taste to it. What? Okay, so the answer is, it doesn't depend on if there's onion in the food. It tastes, what does it taste like right now? So if you, no one who tastes lemon, no one who tastes mayonnaise thinks that it tastes sharp. Okay, but even if it may have something in it that's sharp, that doesn't make a difference. 
It depends on what it is like right now, as you're using it. Um, so like, in the case that, is your name Joey? Joey started to say about the guy who fries onions with his meat, and the whole story, after you, after you fry your onions for a couple of minutes, they don't taste sharp either. Once you start to um, brown your onions, they don't taste sharp anymore. So it's, it, what? But it's raw onions. Potentially. If he's, he's, he's shaking his head about that one. He's not too sure about that. Yeah, if it, Pineapple? Somebody said pineapple? Yeah, somebody said pineapple. Okay. Why? Wait, somebody said pineapple? No, I'm sorry. Okay. Rabbi Eisenach and I will talk about it later. I, I, okay, we, answer rabbi. Okay. Um, If a person is going to use, I mentioned about using a microwave, um, the, the best thing to do is, just like you have an oven, you have a meat oven and a dairy oven, the best thing to do is to have separate if a person has that ability to have a separate one, a meat microwave and a dairy microwave. Um, that doesn't always work. Um, not only doesn't it work because I may not have room in my kitchen, but what if I work in an office, okay, and they have a microwave that's not even closer all together. Okay, that, that, it's just nothing. It just, you know, it's, everybody uses that microwave. So then, similar to using um, the way you use food in a, in a stove, um, there, it, it is possible to use something that's not kosher, um, to use it for kosher. In a microwave, and when I say use it for not kosher, the same as if you're switching from meat to dairy. What you need to do is, um, the place where you're going to be putting your plate down in the microwave needs to be clean. Okay? Under, under, under that spot where you're putting it down, you should put down a napkin or a paper towel or something, some kind of a barrier or a paper plate, some kind of a barrier underneath it. And then the bowl or the plate that you're putting your food into needs to be double covered. Okay? That covering, when I say it needs to be covered, I don't mean it needs to be hermetically sealed. It doesn't need to be, you know, clamped down and sealed forever. Uh, it needs to be relatively well covered, okay? If, if you do those things, you could use it in a not kosher one, or if it's a meat microwave, use it for dairy. Okay, now, the, the, in an oven, that's a little simpler. In an oven, it's easy to make sure it's clean, put a piece of foil, in this case, you put a piece of foil down and double cover it. In a microwave, uh, you're more likely to have the problem of it popping open. If something goes wrong and the covering pops off, and then that's time to call the rabbi then. Okay, that, that's a complicated situation. It depends on many factors. Um, a lot of job, by the way. Yes. Yeah. Yes. What about a bag of popcorn in a non-kosher microwave? So we laugh. We tell people they can do that. Okay. okay. So when the floor is clean, right. you don't want to put it down. Right. Like that little bit that was up, that's okay. That yeah, that's right. Yes, it has a little bit. That's okay. That's, when I say it doesn't need to be perfectly clean, that's an example of that. It doesn't need to be perfectly sealed. That's right. Okay. Um, okay, on the stovetop, the grates that are on the stovetop, you can use those meat and dairy. You can switch them back and forth. It doesn't make a difference. They can go back and forth. Um, the space in between those grates, if you use your oven for meat and dairy, the space in between, the, 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 the porcelain enamel in between them, is, not, is considered not kosher. Okay, too many things spill and splash in those spots. So the grates you could use for both, but the spots in between we consider to be not kosher. Right, if something falls down, we consider it not kosher. Right. Okay. One last thing um, before I give you Rabbi Eisenbach um, is the if something became not kosher, if we had a dish that became not kosher, then we use something we do something called koshering to switch it over from not kosher to kosher. Okay. You may some of you may have done that before Pesach. It's a pretty common time people do koshering. They have dishes that they use all year round. They want to now use it for Pesach, so they do a koshering. The most common kind of koshering that you do is you, use, you put it into boiling water. You don't use it for a day. You, excuse me, you clean it well. You don't use it for 24 hours. You put it into boiling water. That's the most common kind of koshering there is. 
So, what about if a person wants to catch something between meat and dairy? Okay, they have they have a, a uh, silverware. They use it they use it for meat, and now they want to switch it over and make it into dairy silverware. Or they have a pot, and they they're switching it from dairy, they're switching it to a meat. Can they switch it back and forth? So, the Mogan Avram, a safer written many years ago, hundreds of years ago, says that the custom is we don't switch things back and forth between meat and dairy. If something became not kosher, we could make it kosher. If it became, if it was used for year-round, we could use it, we could switch, kosher it for Pesach. But if it was used for meat or dairy, we can't kosher it for the other one. In fact, what they say is if you really want to switch it over from one to the other, what you should do is wait for Pesach. Okay, when it comes to Pesach time, you could kosher it. Once it's kosher, you can do whatever you want with it. Okay, that's what they say. So, the question is, that custom that the Mughan of Rome says, that you shouldn't kosher things back and forth between meat and dairy, does that custom apply to an oven? Okay? An oven is kosher in a little bit of a different way than I just described to you. The way you kosher an oven is not by putting it into boiling water. Okay? You kosher an oven by, either you run through unless a self-cleaning cycle, what? Unless you bring your steak. Uh, you, you run through a self-cleaning, a self-cleaning cycle, or you clean it well and put it at 550 for an hour. It's a, it's a different kind of kosher. We call it libun. That kind of kosher is a different style of kosher. Okay? There's a question as to whether what I just told you, that you can't kosher back and forth between meat and milk, whether that applies to kosher an oven the way we kosher ovens. Are you allowed to kosher an oven back and forth? And actually, that question has become very relevant to people coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, many people in their kitchens have just a meat oven. Their oven is dedicated for meat. But come Shavuos, they want to make dairy products and they want to make them uncovered. Okay, cheesecake you make uncovered. They want to make a cheesecake in their oven. Can they kosher their oven to make their oven now be a dairy oven so they can run a cheesecake in that? Okay, there's a difference of opinion as to whether you can or cannot do that. Whether this custom also applies to that. I asked the rabbi beforehand, he says, the rabbi says, his policy is that yes, you can. In an oven, you can do that. Okay, so if you want to switch your oven from meat to dairy or dairy to meat, uh, there's a difference of opinion. Here in, in Richmond, you're okay. You can kosher back and forth. If you want to go from meat to dairy and back, I guess after Shavuos, you want to kosher back. Okay, um, is there any questions? Okay, good. We have no questions, so I'm going to give you Rabbi Eisenbach. Um, if you have more patience, I'll be back later. Uh, uh,